Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. This is our gratitude season where we're showcasing and celebrating and talking with and about our team members. Hi, Kay. Hi, Jenny. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So for everyone listening, we have Kay Jollymore with us today, who is an integral member of our team. And it makes sense, of course, to have her as a shining light in our season where we're featuring our team. And so Kay is our senior archaeology manager and works primarily out of our Vancouver office, but is all over the province with different projects. Great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sitting in North Vancouver in the unceded traditional territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Musqueam First Nation. And it's nice to nice to get to chat with you on the podcast. I know, just like regular, regular chatting, but with a bit more fine tuning on the sound. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been with us now? It's coming, because you, you joined us in the crazy time of COVID. You joined us in January 2020. It's true. Yeah. Right. So um, three years. Yeah. Three months before COVID started. So that was a fun time. That's <laughs> yeah, a fun way to get to know your new team that you're leading. Yep. Yeah. First three months were pretty full on. And then we pumped the brakes and waited for the world to sort itself out. It's funny because um, it's it in a way it's helpful that COVID happened. <laughs> Um, and so far as it gives me like a timeline for, for when you joined us, That's because true. it feels like you've been with us a lot longer. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to believe three years have gone by already. It's been a blink. So I know, but I can't really imagine. I can't imagine it without you. So thanks. (laughs) You know, you and I have been in this business for a similar amount of time. I'd say a hundred, a hundred years. Sure. Yeah. Similar amount of time. And we wanted to talk with folks about how they got into the business, what made a positive difference to them coming up. When I came up in archaeology, being a young woman in the field, I found it very difficult, very tricky. I didn't know where I would fit in with things. I didn't know what I could ask for, what I couldn't ask for. I felt compelled to keep up with people. Um, And many of the people that I worked with were men. Men are great. Love men. Married a man. Men are great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it would, it would have been wonderful to see more women in the field at the time. And there wasn't a lot of them. And so I wonder if you could kind of speak to kind of your origin story in archaeology. I'm always so interested to hear how people get into the business because it's sometimes hard for people outside of the field to imagine, like, how does one become an archaeologist? Sure. And then I wonder if that could kind of dovetail into our topic today, uh, which is mentorship. It has a really long history, actually, starting when I was 11. Oh, um, I know. Back. I know. As um, I grab my cup of tea and throw my feet up. <laughs> Our family went on a big family holiday down at the States. We'd gone to Disneyland because um, we were 11. So that was a fun time. Course, but we also um, we were ca- traveling around in our camper. We were looking for a campsite and we ended up stopping at Mesa Verde National Park. And that was my introduction okay. to amazing 
earthworks and rock dwellings and archaeology. So that was kind of the place where I was like, wow, people do this for a career. This is kind of cool. And did you still see the corn cobs that were on the ground? Yes. Like and like stuck in the wall ago. as well. Yeah. Super, oh, super amazing. And it was an amazing place. And we attended a lecture by someone that was working there. And as a young person, it was fascinating. Also, as a young person, we had um, growing up in Horsefly, there's some big earthworks out at Quinell Lake. And so I was exposed to some archaeology out there as well with these huge huge pit houses on one of the islands in Quinella Lake. So we used to camp there and I used to just, you know, imagine what what people were doing when they were living on the island. So those were kind of the first first inklings of my career. I have a quick question about Oh that. sure. You are out there with your folks. You're out there with your twin sister Ginny. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always really interested in why something like a pit house, which is the remains of a house that used to be there, right? Or a house mm -hmm. I'm amazed it can capture the imagination of me and you, but it doesn't capture the imagination of everyone. Your sister, for instance, did not go on to become an archaeologist. No, that's, that's true. She did not. As a child, I also spent a lot of time with my parents traveling around to ghost towns and like really remote little like spots the in the province. And so I found it always very fascinating. My sister thought it was a big bore. <laughs> what? Yep. Um, she went into healthcare. She's, she's not interested in what I do. I always find that really fascinating that there's this like real division between people that find this type of history fascinating and want to explore it more. That is kind of the really early origins of my career. Right around that time, I was like, this is probably what I want to do. I really love history. I want to like do, and as, as a really young person too, which is kind of bananas, but I can kind of continued with that, that thirst for like knowledge around history as I was in high school and I ended up working at the Horsefly Museum for a couple of years and then went graduated to the Williams Lake Museum for a few Ooh. years. I know. Yeah. I worked in their collections a lot. I wasn't on the floor a lot, but I was working with collections in the basement. Why <laughs> are collections um, always in the basement? Well, actually, they're coming out of the basement now. That's but, true. Yeah. But historically, that's where they've always been. Yeah. And I know that smell. Yes. You know, the smell I know. of collections. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very oh, well. And every museum I go into, it all has the same smell, except for the newer ones. I feel yeah. like when I went to, let's say, the Museum of Anthropology at UBC, it, it managed to break that smell because then it had the mm. open collections. That's true. Yep. From there, I decided I was going to do a bit of university. Um, so I ended up doing my first year of of college level courses um, in Williams Lake, actually, and I was exposed to some archaeology courses there and a, a female professor, actually, who was a real influence in kind of guiding me to pursue the the line of study that I ended up doing. I, f I focused on paleobotanicals when I was at SFU. Could you explain to folks what paleobotanical work is? Yeah. So it's looking at the plant remains essentially at archaeological sites. Often if you have a fire pit, um, you'll have charred plant remains that survive in the fire pit, which can provide a really interesting picture of when people were living there, the seasonality of that occupation, what people were eating, types of materials people were using. And it can it could be really an interesting piece of, of history to 
to talk about site occupation, Very those cool. sites. So um, I don't get much opportunity to do that in the line of work I'm in now. Often it gets sent to somebody else to look at, <laughs> but that's okay. Most of my career has been spent looking at lithics in Northwestern British Columbia. So that's more my specialty now and assessing landforms and looking at landscape archaeology. But I was really lucky to have someone in Williams Lake that encouraged me to do to have a focus in archaeology instead of being a very broad practitioner, which was really helpful, I think, in the early part of my studies. I, I just spent one year in Williams Lake doing studies there and, and then graduated to SFU where I'd finished my undergrad. And I had some exposure to some really amazing mentors there. Phil Holbler was one of my mentors. He, he ran the field school that I attended. He was an incredible mentor. I never met Phil. Yeah. Um, I, but I've had it like across the board, heard wonderful things about him. And in the graduate lab, his runners were there. His sneakers were there yep. for years and years and years. And I would see his sneakers and knew that those were Phil Hobler's sneakers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Phil was Phil, Phil was a real character. He was so generous with his time and knowledge and and being able to, you know, impart the skills that he had learned over the course of his career. And ironically, when I was a kid, you know, 11 years old down in Mesa Verde, he was actually there at that time. I'm not sure if I actually ran into him, but I oh kind of like part of me is like, wow, what an intersection. Of- it was meant to be. It was meant to be. So, yeah. So that, what that so that's been really interesting to kind of think on. He's since passed away, which which is sad. But um, I actually one of the reasons I got into consulting archaeology was I was at his funeral, actually. I'd, I ran into an old colleague um, that I had worked with at SFU who offered me a job in consulting archaeology. Again, another female mentor that meant a lot to my career and my development, a, a sad piece of the, the puzzle, but also one of those things that just led me to the career that I'm in now. You kind of mentioned a few positive role models along the way. In hindsight, what was the value in having those relationships? Yeah, I think those relationships were instrumental in me sticking with my career and and developing my skill set that I have now. I, I do think that if I hadn't been exposed to those people and people willing to take time to teach me and train in different areas of our discipline, I don't know if I would have landed where I am now. Mm-hmm. They were very influential. and And I think also in our line of work, and I'm sure this is the case for other disciplines as well, we learn a lot at school. Doing our undergrad or graduate studies is it's a very helpful part of our career, but a lot of it is is based in real in-field skills and knowing how to navigate those types of things, you know, from, from navigating in the field, how to navigate through the bush. Those were skills that I learned from, from colleagues and, you know, supervisors and also, you know, how to dig a shovel test, how to interpret the material that we're getting out of the ground to create a story and to understand what people were, were doing there. That's something that really influenced my career and just made me a stronger archaeologist in the long run. Mentors come in all shapes and sizes as well. I think historically, we think about mentors as being someone that is more senior than you, has spent a lot of time in the field, is wiser, and has you know has had a long time in the industry. But I think there's been a lot of horizontal mentorship as well with colleagues that I've worked with in the field, and and even people that I'm supervising, people that you know have different skills that they're 
interested and willing to share with me that have been really helpful as I gain experience in in my work. Colleagues that I've worked with at other businesses and and also First Nations that I've worked with, their influence and understanding of the land and and how people are using resources, those types of interactions have been so useful in helping me understand different regions of the province. Those definitely are are valuable opportunities to to gain more knowledge and understand the the places that we live. And it sounds like, you know, when we reflect upon those opportunities and and with me, I remember the first mentor I had who who I met when I was at UBC, Dr. Lisa Cooper, and and she was teaching me classical art and architecture of the ancient Near, Near East. And I remember becoming completely enamored with the topic and saying, Wait, well, like, how do you get to be an archaeologist? When can I become an archaeologist? And she said, when you start doing archaeology, you're an archaeologist. And that was very, you know, mm. it was very like relieving for me, but it also speaks to this kind of casual ad hoc certification that has happened in our field a bit. I'm not talking about the professional accreditation that's very mm. clearly laid out, mm-hmm. but how, you know, you can get an archaeology degree. I, I got a degree in archaeology without ever stepping foot in the field. Yep. You know, you can do a bachelor's degree in anthropology or archaeology and, you know, 90% of the folks who have archaeology degrees and go on to work in archaeology, they work in cultural resource management, but they never learn the skills in cultural resource management in the classroom until they get into the field. Yeah. And there are some, there are some institutions such as Simon Fraser University who have brought their post bachelor certificate in CRM in. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. as well as their master's program in heritage resource management, they would be trying to bridge that gap, I think, with those programs. But a lot of the time, it's this kind of casual yeah. talk approach to training. And so how are folks going to get that without mentorship? Yeah, I know that that's that's a really big question in, in our industry, I think. I've been thinking a lot about this over the last few years, just because I've had an opportunity to mentor some other people as well as I grow in my career. And I think it's it's challenging because the current regulatory framework that we work in is very based on experience and being supervised and mentored by more experienced, you know, permit holders or field directors. So there's definitely a need for mentorship in the field, but I think that it's not I, I get the sense that it's not a, a really important part of the day-to-day consulting business, which which is unfortunate because so many people have so many skills that they should be passing along. And I think it comes down to also, like like you said, thinking about the formal versus the kind of organic or ad hoc training, teaching, mentorship opportunities. So I think there's definitely probably a space for more formal mentorship in our field. The challenge is that it takes time. And I think the mentee also needs to have a clear idea about what they're wanting out of that relationship. The organic and kind of ad hoc mentorship definitely happens. If you if you have projects where you have more than one archaeologist out, there's always an opportunity for ad hoc training and, and mentorship in that, that regard, or there should be anyways, in my mind. There's always an opportunity to kind of like talk about skills and why you're there and different techniques 
that's just a challenge in our field to be able to have that opportunity to have both the, the formal and the organic or ad hoc mentorship opportunities. Thinking from a consulting perspective, often we're very mindful about the costs going into executing our projects. Unfortunately, it's part of the business that we're in. But I think if we're able to build space in our budgets for our projects to have more junior potentially, or or just other archaeologists working on the project as a team instead of just a single archaeologist going out to you know do monitoring or assessments in the field. Having an opportunity to have space in the budgets on those projects to have more than one archaeologist out on a project can be really helpful in building and training more team members. And I think we're seeing that in our field right now. It's tough to find people that have experience, you know, if we're not spending time mentoring and training more people in our field, we're going to continue down this path where more experienced people are just not present um, and not not available for hire. I agree. And being a, a business owner, this is yet again one of the challenges because consulting firms run such slim margins as it is the seasonality yeah. at work. That's just a, that's just a, a fact for anyone. And you know, our wage model has changed over the last few years. Public education has increased, which takes time and money, but helps everyone ultimately. It means that clients can better anticipate where they're where they're going to need an archaeologist and are a little more open to related costs. The interesting thing when I think about mentorship is um, we've always done mentorship, but it was very casual and it mm. worked best when we were small and agile. And as we grew, it's one of those things that went out the door, right? Mm -hmm. It's like exercising, super valuable, but it's the first thing to get removed from the calendar when things get busy. Yeah, And we would miss out on that opportunity. And one of the great things that you have been really leading since you came on is formalizing our mentorship program, which we've been running with. And we should talk about that in, in a couple of minutes. But I also wanted to consider the value, or maybe it doesn't matter to have consistency in, in mm. mentorship. So what I mean by that is like if you and I both, for example, meet with one of our team members and we're mentoring them separately on report writing, you mm. might have certain styles than, than I would have and vice versa. So is that a worthy trade-off in mentorship to allow for those nuances and things like that? Mm -hmm. Is that one of the strengths? Because then you're actually getting almost imprinted with this other person's techniques. Uh, is that a good thing? Is mm. where, where do you kind of see that? And, how, and, and if it's a bad thing, how do we account for it? If it's a good thing, how do we protect those nuances? Right. That's, I mean, that's a really good question. I, I do think that just look, just thinking about my career um, and over the years, I, I definitely had influences from many different people, styles of approaching different problems or writing tasks or whatnot. I think there is something to be said about consistency and also being able to help those people like meet their goals that they have. But I do think that there's real value in understanding how other people approach problems. We all think differently as well. So the way a solution might be presented to someone might be not the best fit, whereas somebody else might have a different approach that just fits better with the way that they're thinking. So I think there is a value in being able to do a bit of like cross-pollination, essentially, and have other people's input on how to problem solve or train in different skills. Um, I think the the other piece of the mentorship puzzle, which you, which you just mentioned as well about writing, 
in the past, I've often thought about mentorship being in the field. There's a ton of stuff that we need to know about and like problem solving and different things that we need to manage in the field, health and safety and all of those things kind of come into, into play there as well. But I think there there is a real need for time in the office as well. We spend a lot of time in the field collecting material that then we need to bring back to the office and and clean and interpret and and create the story that kind of goes along with that material. I find writing tasks are a little harder to to, mm-hmm. to mentor in because you're sitting at a computer desk and and often you know Clienza's team members are quite spread out across the province too. So you're not sitting side by side at a desk going through doing a page by page exactly which is so valuable. Yeah, exactly. So that has definitely presented some challenges. I think in the past, when I was providing feedback on reporting tasks, I would physically actually write that feedback on printed paper, which is not very good for the environment. I totally admit that. Okay, I know it's terrible. But that was a really good way for people to actually uptake the the feedback as well. Mm -hmm. I do find that track changes that we use in our report edits, it's really easy for the person writing and receiving that feedback to just accept all the changes, quickly deal with the comments. And I do find the the uptake of that feedback is not as holistic, potentially, as them physically having to read and address my like scratchy handwriting comments into the document. That's been an interesting kind of challenge as we kind of move away from printing all of the pages, killing trees, to being able to provide feedback that people are going to take in um, and use on their next opportunity for writing. That's been a challenge, particularly because we're so spread out everywhere. But it's a really important piece of the mentorship puzzle, I think, because we spend so much time preparing documents and writing site forms and, and whatnot. I've spent a lot of time in the environmental assessment process world in my past career. And that's a really interesting kind of niche part of our industry that not a lot of people have had exposure to. So being able to find opportunities to pass the skills on that I've learned over the course of my career to people that might be working in that space is an important piece of that puzzle as well. It's different than the technical writing that we typically do for our permit reports and other things that we're producing for clients. It's just like kind of one of those niche parts of of archaeology that not a lot of archaeologists get exposed to. I can see that you feel like a responsibility to make sure that the information that you've gained and that's been passed on to you, that you can kind of like pay it forward. But I wonder, should everyone be a mentor? Are there people who shouldn't be a mentor? And like, how would you categorize Mm. uh, a good mentor? I definitely feel an obligation to pass those skills along. There's been people in my past, like I've spoken about, that have spent a lot of time mentoring me and getting me to the career that I'm in today. So I definitely feel maybe not an obligation, but like a need to pass those skills on when I can have an opportunity. That's not going to be the truth for everyone, I'm sure. I would hope that people would would want to spend some time with their colleagues and, you know, spending time with them to help advance their careers and experience. But I know that's probably not realistic. And I think the other piece of that that question is that it does take time. Are you willing to to give some of your time to other colleagues to help develop their career? And it's it's definitely an important question in our you know busy schedules and 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 lives. It's trying to find space for that. It can be challenging. I wonder who would ideally lead that relationship: the mentor or the mentee? Uh, I remember when I was starting yeah. the thought of like approaching someone to 
basically invest their time in me for for free. Mm-hmm. I, I it was a very hard thing to approach, and so I wonder if you have any suggestions for how folks on both sides of that relationship, like best practices for approaching that. Yeah, I think working in the regulatory environment that we work in here in British Columbia, we have, you know, the archaeology branch is looking for experience for people to move into the field director role, permit holder role. And that's really dependent on experience in the field and being supervised by somebody else. That could potentially be part of that equation in that as a mentee, you probably know where you are with your field hours. Um, Have you had supervisory hours where, you know, where you are in that trajectory um, and how much time you need to spend on things. The other piece of that is also spending time in different culture regions across the province. We have three here in British Columbia and the archaeology branch is looking at experience in each of those regions and also looking for experience working in different site types, particularly here on the coast. There's lots of different ones that you need experience before you're going to be able to move into field director role or permit holder. If you don't have experience recording culturally modified trees, for instance, that's going to be a gap. So I think for a mentee, being able to identify where those gaps are can be really helpful in targeting areas that you need to improve or gain skills in, which can then you know lead to that person thinking, I need some experience doing X, Y, Z. Who could I approach to help me with that gap in my field experience, for instance? So it's it can be nerve-wracking, particularly if it's like a more formal mentorship relationship. But I think there is real need and value in in pursuing that type of relationship um, and and looking for opportunities to gain experience in different fields and regions and all of that stuff. I think the other piece of the consulting world here in British Columbia is, um, and it's definitely something that I encountered earlier in my career, I was working in one culture region and that was it. That was where all of our projects were located. And so I didn't have a lot of exposure to other areas of the province. That can be a real challenge if you're wanting to grow your career, but you don't have an opportunity to work in those other culture regions. So But again, that could present a really interesting opportunity for you to identify someone that might be a good mentor in helping you gain experience in those regions. Not easy, definitely not. I guess the other piece of the mentorship conversation is that it often happens within an an employment kind of environment. Mm -hmm. So when it doesn't necessarily need to be, I think that that's the other piece is that there could be an opportunity for for instance, for our professional association to take a bit more of an active role in connecting mentors with mentees, particularly for different culture regions. If if you're only working in one region, but you really would like some experience in another area of the province, that could be an opportunity. But again, it comes down to time needed to do that. So in being able to to have those conversations, but that that could be a really interesting opportunity for our professional association to to help navigate those pieces of of the mentorship conversation. I I think that too, and and it's one of my disappointments, I think, with our professional association, not a shame on you disappointment, but just, you know, there's such a wealth of knowledge within that organization. And it's one of the bonuses and challenges within that super small BC Association of Professional Archaeologists is very agile. It's very small. It's very agile. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course it has red tape. Everyone has red tape, but most of the members are one or two degrees removed from each other because it's yep. so small. So it would seem that those relationships could be facilitated 
in um in a professional model i'm mm-hmm. thinking about other professional associations the association of bc forest professionals for example mm-hmm. which i think might have just changed its name so that's not the current name and there is an obligation for professional members to sponsor and supervise mm-hmm. oh really Mm-hmm. Folks mm. who are coming up into, you know, getting their professional days, be, going from a forester in training to a registered professional forester, you have to, I'm going to call it a mentor. They don't call it that. They call it a supervisor, I think. Okay. But, but they have to supervise your competencies. And so be like, oh, you have to get this competency. Let's talk about it. This is how you get it in order to fulfill that competency. And so you're, you know, you're, you're developing these skills, you're developing confidence, you're developing a network, you're developing a relationship at the same time. And I think that our professional association absolutely has the ability to do that. And Mm -hmm. I would love, that's something I would love to see. And I would be very excited to see that in our professional organization and and take advantage of, you know, the wide breadth of members that we have too. We've got some very early career archaeologists and we've got archaeologists who, who are in the association who have been doing it 30 years. And it would be so wonderful to bring those two pieces together. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. a great knowledge transfer. That would be amazing. What an incredible opportunity that would be for younger members. Yeah. And then, and then it can take away some of that self-consciousness and trying to seek those things out. And, but if I return to that, when I was saying, uh, you know, I remember being young and starting out and being terrified at the thought of asking someone to give me their time, looking back on it and now having people approach me, it's Mm -hmm. only flattering it only makes everyone feel good. And so I very much encourage people to do that um, and say, do you have time for me personally um, as a business owner, you know, young kids, everything, everyone's got everything going on. But when someone reaches out and asks me, mm-hmm. I love to set that time aside. If it's just up to me, I'll never find time to do it. But if someone comes to me, uh, I feel very grateful that they've allowed me to have like some space to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. I like when I'm in the office here and people just pop in and say, can you, can you chat for half an hour about this thing? And I say, yeah, I would love to. I put down what I'm doing and I'm thrilled to do it. Yeah. That's the nice thing about doing like ad hoc, casual, mm-hmm. organic yes. mentorship in the workplace. But, you know, we're not always able to share all of the skills that we have and that we've gained over the course of our career and I, I think it would be a really good opportunity for our professional association to set something like that up. Um, it'd be interesting to know what other professionals in our field feel about this space, because I, I do think that if we're not spending time mentoring and training our younger cohort, that we're going to get into a position where there's just not enough people to take on the workload that that is currently presenting itself. Yeah, it does not seem like the classrooms are full right now. So it doesn't seem like there's a big wave of recent graduates coming. And the work I feel is just getting more and more, both as development ramps up in the province, but also as people become aware of archaeology and want to participate in the system, they they basically are like, how do I get onto this merry-go-round? Like, what point do I get on and kind of go through the process? And so I think they're very eager to participate in it. And that's been a lot of gratitude to that happening has been because of public education mm. and because of First Nations communities being very clear and having strong resolve about how 
they want things done in their territories. Mm-hmm. And so that's been, that's been wonderful, not only because it's the right thing to do, but also from a business perspective, it's, it's increased the level of business, but the reality is we don't have the staffing across the province to meet that just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're trying to bridge that shortfall a bit. I wonder, would you be able to kind of speak to where we're at with our mentorship program and where you would like it to be, what we're Mm. kind of working towards? Um, It's something that we're always working on. It's been a challenge. Come field season, it it often falls by the wayside other than the the in-field mentorship opportunities, which of course increase. But the formal aspect of like a schedule. And, you know, it looks like we've kind of ramped it up again this year, which is wonderful. But I wonder if you could kind of kind of speak to it. Sure. We thought we would try to put something a bit more formal in place for our employees. Um, So we'd have an opportunity to kind of connect on a more regular basis to talk about their goals as part of their career trajectory. They're obviously going to have annual goals that they're wanting to to pursue and meet. Something that we've set up is an opportunity to to connect with more experienced archaeologists and have an opportunity to kind of talk about challenges that they're having in their day-to-day work, things that they would like to accomplish over the course of the year, um, and how to to get there. In some cases, the employee might have a goal that the mentor might not have a, a ton of experience working in. So in those cases, we're able to kind of connect them to another person that might have more experience in that space. That's been kind of interesting in pursuing that and and helping people kind of meet the goals that they they have. As you said, field work comes along and it kind of just bumps everything out of the way because <laughs> um, it's a busy season. I think that's a very polite way to put it. It just bumps <laughs> it over. <laughs> I'm hoping that we can kind of continue and keep that in the forefront of people's minds so that we're helping people gain experience and and reach the goals that they have in mind. I think because we are in, we're in consulting, we're we're busy, we're, you know, every day is a new challenge and things come along very quickly and it's really easy to kind of forget about those goals that you set at the beginning of the year, like things that you want to accomplish. So being able to have those checkpoints, I think, through the year will be really helpful in helping people meet those goals and also just be nimble in navigating changing work as well. If something changes during the year, we have an opportunity to connect with them to to talk about what's changed, what things we might be able to put in place to help gain experience in maybe in a different area that has, has presented itself. As far as the, the field piece, it is definitely a bit more ad hoc and casual and organic as we move into the field season. But I think those, those pieces are just as valuable as some of the more formal mentorship goals, being able to spend time with colleagues in the field, helping them identify areas where they might not have as much experience and just exposing them to some different challenges and how to navigate field work. Sometimes it's not as clear cut as one might think. So getting into those field situations and being able to, you know, navigate change as it presents itself and is, is also one of those like field skills that you just learn, <laughs> changing conditions and and whatnot. And I think as archaeologists, we're exposed to so many different things as well and have to know lots of different tool sets. So being able to kind of learn different pieces of those in the field as as well as in more of a formal setting can be really helpful um, in navigating those those things. Mm, definitely. From a business perspective, from a company culture perspective, it's so key. You know, we're, we're in different offices. And so it's a great way to bridge that mm-hmm. physical distance by building a relationship with 
Kevin and Prince Rupert, for example, of someone's down south yep. and kind of get to know each other more. You know, that's one of the challenges even before COVID, but certainly post COVID is we're, we're quite isolated physically. And so while, you know, yep. while it's nice to be in the office and someone can pop in, that isn't always the case as well. Yep. That's true. Yeah. We spend yeah. a lot of time on these Zoom calls, but having some one-on-one time with one colleague um, can be really helpful, I think, in building those relationships. Those relationships are easy to build when you're in the field because you literally spend 10 hours a day with them bashing around in the bush. But, you know, having an opportunity to just sit down and and have a coffee and talk about some of the their challenges and, and things that they'd like to accomplish during the year has been a really nice opportunity. Yeah, that was a highlight for me a week or two ago when uh, the Bowser team, we went and did an intertidal oh, yeah. teaching morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was lovely. And and I really love our team. So it's it's really nice to be able to hang out with them and talk archaeology as well. Yep. So, you know, we're like blue skying where we could take mentorship. We've talked about the value of it, how basically everyone in our discipline, including our clients, our First Nations partners, everyone benefits from Mm -hmm. a team that's better informed, more cohesive, has cross-regional connections and networks. But if we're blue sky and kind of where could we take it, you know, um, how, how could we help to facilitate mentorship relationships between other folks that we work with, such as industry partners or other consulting firms or mm-hmm. First Nations partners as well, so that it becomes a, a wider reciprocal model. Mm. That's a good question. In some cases, not so challenging. Some mm. clients are very receptive to being very. able to. And some you know, are very and some not are receptive. not. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think trying to find those opportunities where you can learn from your clients and and have. I don't know if it would be necessarily a mentorship goal or role, mm. but definitely a learning opportunity. I, I know over the course of my career, I've learned lots about different industries from people that are specialists in those industries, being willing to share their information and knowledge about the projects that they're developing. And they're really passionate about what they do. So having opportunities to sit down again, have coffee with them and and you know ask them questions about their their work. Again, they 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 find that so flattering that someone so flattering. outside of their industry would be interested in learning what, about what they do. And I think it really can add to how we approach our work for those specific clients and that type of, you know, whatever industry we're learning about can be really valuable in approaching um, future projects and executing them efficiently and, and successfully. As far as First Nation partners that we work with, there's always an opportunity to gain knowledge and and share knowledge as well. Working with many First Nations across the province and across Canada, I've learned so much about landscape archaeology and how they approach different like move movement through the land um, can be really really interesting to talk to people about that and how people are utilizing resources in different spaces. But also willing to share what we do because those people are often on our crews, being able to spend the time to to help them understand why we're doing the work that we're doing, you know, different skills that we use in the field to to execute our work, being able to spend the time with them to to help them learn those things. Not only does it help the project that you're on at the time, but it can also help them in the future to, you know, work as a really valued crew member on our crews and also in some cases contribute to our reporting and, and things that we're considering um, as we're, you know, doing putting our 
reporting obligations together and whatnot to help inform those those conversations. Yeah, and we've tried to widen that through our internship models. But mm-hmm. the challenge with our internship models is they're often single project based. On the one hand, that's wonderful because a community member will get to see the project from inception to closure, right through doing permits to submitting the final report, which isn't always accessible otherwise, but it's just one project. And then it plays back into the idea of this precarious employment that many First Nations archaeologists have in that there's it's not well scheduled. It's not known ahead of time. Yeah. Um, First Nations archaeologists aren't as well valued by our discipline because they're not seen to have uh, what is considered the requisites to participate uh, right. in this formal discipline. And so the reality is we're moving towards a model of increased control of descendant communities over their heritage materials. And so how mm-hmm. do we get this information in our heads downloaded yeah. into community where they don't have to do it for free? I don't show up and do my job for free. You don't show up and be a mentor for free. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying you wouldn't grab coffee with someone on the weekend, but in terms of like a formal a formal mentorship professional relationship it's part of our workday we get paid for it mm-hmm. and so we'd want to make sure that other folks who are looking to build capacity in this discipline aren't expected to do it for free either it's great that folks are doing it in the field mm-hmm. nations are doing it in the fields but we want to make sure that we're creating opportunities when we can when it's the right client the right project yeah. um, to put into our budgets these formal opportunities for folks from community to be paid to learn these skills and Mm -hmm. then they can be the mentors in their communities as well, ideally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I do think we're getting- We're we're working on it. We're working on it. It's, it's, uh, as Gary was saying to me, like any of these big changes, Gary Brewer, whom we work with, uh, are slow, 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 and then fast. (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe we're still in the slow, slow, slow part. We're getting there. (laughs) We, we are getting there. And I think it's never been a better time. I think people are really receptive to transfer of knowledge and widening what knowledge is considered in our discipline. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it is wonderful to be able to know how to safely dig a square hole. 100%. And we need that. But we also really need to understand the depth of culture and history that, mm-hmm. you know, community members are the keepers of. Definitely. Yep. It's a valuable part of that, that um, our understanding of how people were using their space. So, you know, we've been talking about mentorship, how we're trying to further it, the value of it, how everybody who participates in a mentorship relationship benefits. Absolutely. There's no losers. No one is giving more than they're getting. That's the wonderful, surprising thing about it. It actually becomes reciprocal. And I wonder, you know, reflecting on your career, not finished yet, not reflecting back on it, but reflecting (laughs) on your career thus far. Do you have any relationships with mentors or mentees that comes to mind as being transformational or particularly impactful or that you kind of store in your mind and kind of reflect back on or, you know, draw up fairly frequently? I had an experience with Phil Holder when I was out doing my field school. So it was a very classic SFU field school in Bellacoola, where we were doing excavations on an archaeological site in the valley. But we had an opportunity. Phil was approached by a forestry company to do a survey of a forestry cut block, not associated with the dig, but outside Bellacoola. And so he had 
asked a couple, a handful of people that were there during the field school to to join a crew, essentially, to do the survey of a forestry cup lock. I'd never been involved with anything like this before. Didn't know much about navigating through the forest, what kind of things we would be like needing to record and things like that. Um, and also like the safety considerations around getting to said forestry cup lock. I think there was four of us that were selected to go and do this survey of this forestry cup block with Phil. We also camped out in the like bushes, which was kind of bananas as well. So we don't really do that much anymore in consulting. And we usually stay in a hotel somewhere um, or in camp, um, which is great. Um, (laughs) That experience, we spent, I think, four days out doing this survey of this big, huge forestry cup block off the coast of Bella Coola. It was really transformational for me in that I learned how to navigate through a forest. I learned how to identify different types of CMTs how to record them. It was in a like, very short amount of time, but so much skill transfer from Phil in being able to you know, help us navigate those, those situations. And also just the safety factors as well about how to get there safely. Part of it was by boat, part of it was by helicopter. So being able to understand those ins and outs of the safety things that go along with those, traveling by helicopter is pretty dangerous, which definitely set me up for future work. A lot of the work I do in Northwestern British Columbia is, is out of a helicopter helicopter. So knowing the type of exposures and and risks around those early in my career, I think also just helped set up a safer career later on. Um, But yeah, so so that that was an amazing mentorship opportunity that really set me up for for my career. And why do you think Phil was such a a good mentor, not just again to you, but to like so many people I've heard? Yeah, yeah. I think Phil was very willing to just spend time to understand what people needed to know and was a really good teacher and just taking the time to understand the things that people needed to learn. You know, it's been a long time since I interacted with Phil. He's now passed away. But I just like reflecting back on the things that that he taught me, he had all all the time in the world to spend with people who was also very knowledgeable and had spent his whole whole career doing archaeology. I think having a willingness to spend time with young people and and or people like new in their career to spend time with them to understand what they need to learn, how to apply it to their jobs. Those pieces are are really integral to someone wanting to take on a mentorship role. It's hard when it's time consuming, but being able to find space for those type of opportunities, I think, can be really valuable. I'm finding in my career now, later in my career, that I have a lot of, I would say, like sneaky or subtle mentors. And I was reflecting upon it as you were talking, because I was thinking, gosh, I go to a lot of people, like I, I actually depend, I think, more on people now to get their insights. Uh, you know, I often start a conversation with people, do you have a minute? I just want to do a quick temperature check. Do, you know, can I bounce this idea mm-hmm. off you? And I find that those relationships, they're very subtle, but I really rely upon them. An example is with Amanda Marshall, with you, I rely, I, I will be like, hey, you got five minutes? I just want to bounce something off you, as well as I have uh, folks who are business coaches whom I go to about the germane details of business and say, does this make any sense? Are we doing this the right way? And then I would say the other joy that sticks out to me about mentoring is now 
you know, people come to me for advice and and pop mm-hmm. in and I adore it. I adore hearing what younger people are up to. I love hearing uh, the enthusiasm that mm-hmm. early career archaeologists are bringing to the same problems we've been attacking yep. within our discipline. Same, same things. Sure, the shape of them, the volume of them has changed, but a lot of it relates to equity and access and fairness and, and things like that, as well as improving archaeological excellence, like being better archaeologists. And I love the enthusiasm that they're bringing and the new ways of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I have great hope for this new batch of archaeologists who are working up. So excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been awesome, Kay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I think it definitely speaks to the value of this. I hope it's encouraging for folks, uh, as well as organizations, um, not just archaeology companies, but regulatory businesses and professional associations to consider the value that membership could bring if they if they brought more uh, mentorship aspects in. I'll also shout out uh, Margarita de Guzman's foundation, the Fairfield Foundation, which mm. is looking to build mentorship with uh, middle and late career female archaeologists and early career female archaeologists, um, cool. which is really, really exciting. So stay tuned. There'll be some opportunities with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a last like side note to, to all of this. I think the other piece of this mentorship equation also has to do with the mentee being willing to take that learning and mm. and knowledge transfer. I have run into a few archaeologists, very few, that have been very unwilling, I think, to have conversations with more experienced archaeologists, potentially, which has been really interesting. Um, I doesn't know. happen very often. I, I think I've witnessed this before. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just that, you know, they've they finished their schooling, they know all the things they need to know, and they don't need to spend time with mm with a mentor, which has been really a curious intersection. (laughs) I do Um, feel it's kind of a red flag as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always so willing to share the knowledge that I've gained over my career. I I always find it very off-putting when someone's like, I'm good. I'm good. No, you have nothing that you can teach me. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. I'd love if listeners could kind of teach us about their ideas and input, if other businesses early career archaeologists, late career archaeologists, mid-career, any archaeologists talk about, you know, both sides of the mentorship relationship, what works and what doesn't, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, from a business perspective, I'm all very, I'm very interested to hear how other firms have been mentored. Many of us set out to be archaeologists, but didn't necessarily set out to be business owners. So we've had to mm-hmm. learn much of that on the fly. Yeah. Um, and particularly in small firms, I know you can attest to this, in small firms, everyone does a bit of everything. It's yep. the only way that it works. And so I'd love to hear from folks if they have any input or ideas, experiences, and we can keep building upon this and hopefully make it not such a, a scary word for people yes. to engage with. Good point. I think that's a wrap on this topic. Thank you so much, Kay. And it's great to connect with you. I know we've been on break for a little bit, so haven't had a chance to connect. And I always like chatting with you. So yeah, no, it's been great. Thanks. Thank thanks you. for taking the opportunity. It's This is a passionate project of mine. So and something it's, it's just important that I think our, more of our industry needs to be talking about. Awesome. Thanks, Kay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there is something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online.
You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at DigThisPod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode.